What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Go Blue with Stu podcast. I am your host, Stu Douglas. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Hit that follow button on Spotify. Go subscribe on YouTube. Leave comments. Really appreciate all the support. You know, not much going on with Michigan basketball. The suspension, um, not really much to talk about. So we'll wait and talk about that a little more when, when, you know, the season gets back up and going. We got a great guest, Jordan Morgan. I love Jordan Morgan. I uh, love playing with him. I love following his career. I'm a big fan of his on and off the court. Uh, we had a really good talk. So I think you guys will enjoy it. We talked a little bit of Michigan basketball. You know, he's in Russia right now, eight hours difference from Eastern time zone. So he hasn't been able to see too much. Uh, we got into a little bit, talked about his overseas career, a lot of good stuff, a lot of interesting talk. He's a really introspective, interesting person, really smart guy. Um, someone I've kept in touch with throughout the years, and I'm thankful for that. And we'll continue to do that. It's someone you want in your corner. So, yeah, subscribe, rate, review. You guys will really enjoy the episode. So, check it out. Appreciate it. Yeah. JMO, what's up, man? Appreciate you coming on the podcast. My man, Stu, Stewie D. Swilliam, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about Swilliam. Man, nobody yeah. called me that before Swilliam. or after. Oh, yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's good. So we talked a little bit before this. Uh, you have not been able to see too much of Michigan, but if you're, what are your, what are your yeah. quick thoughts on the team? Yeah, it's tough because you know uh, I'm here in Russia, so it's I'm eight hours ahead. Uh, it's tough to catch a lot of action, but uh, I mean the team is really impressive. What what's to say? You know, one loss on the record at this point. Um, it was it's tough to see the season get suspended the way it has. Mm-hmm with the team playing like they were um they're really impressive in their energy from the whole team and um i really like the depth of the team different guys stepping up in different games obviously you know you got your big name players you got your hunter dickinson's you've got you know your isaiah livers you got those guys but it seems like every game somebody somebody else is stepping up big and that's really important um and and there's just a lot of energy and a lot of uh like what seems like genuine support uh from all the teammates and it feels like a real team and that's really important um as 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 you you know and i know especially uh towards the end of the season and to really be successful you gotta really really buy into the team and and it seems like coach howard you know juan shout out to juan has these guys really bought into the team and, and that's just, it's just fun to watch. I mean, and I, I know I speak for a lot of Michigan fans and just say, mm-hmm. man, they have been a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, win or lose, they're always exciting. And you always know, you know, even if they're playing bad, like they're giving it all their effort. Like I see a lot of JMOs out there. Yeah. I see a lot of JMOs, <laughs> right. for sure. Right, right. But it's funny, right. you, no, you it's, mentioned it's, the uh, eight-hour difference. And throughout the years, people are like, man, you've been able to watch Michigan catch up. I'm like, dude, I can't. Maybe if I wake up at like 3 a.m. and like check a box score, you know, yeah. watch the highlights, but yeah, it is tough. It's tough to catch all the little details and like talk about it. So it's nice, man. I've been home yeah. this whole time. So it's nice to see those games. So yeah, we won't we won't go far into that um because of those issues. But you know, I was going through <laughs> talking about or like writing down what I want what I want to talk to you about. And my first memory of you is when you first stepped on campus and what some would call, if they said it nicely, out of shape. Yeah. And just your transformation from then on, it was like 
I was like, what, who is this kid? Like, why is he so overweight? You were hurt, yeah. obviously. And yeah. I want you to go into that yeah. a little bit, but I was like, it's just a funny to look back at that picture and maybe we can put it like in a, like a little screenshot or something up, but like that picture to now is just, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of call of duty, man. Like the senior season, senior basketball season ended. Cause I wasn't like that during my senior season. I was in great shape mm -hmm. and it was just like season ended and, you know, uh, not having like the best, I guess, guidance in that respect. But like, I was just like, you know, hanging out and like playing like a lot, like I guess I mean, a lot of call of duty senioritis, like, join the end of my senior year like you know I'll, I'll work out when i get to campus like i was just figured like well i'll get in shape when i get there and you know looking back it's such a silly attitude to have and it obviously had a big impact on um all my you know my physical fitness right so it's just funny you know a lot of people would never believe that when i tell them i meet people now um and they never believe it especially like teammates coaches you know excuse me, I tell them like, yeah, I used to, you know, at one point I was overweight, like when I got to college and it's like, no, they, they would never believe that. So like the transformation is like, it is so drastic that people can't even, can't even picture like that. That doesn't even make sense to them. No, no. Cause you're a workout freak. You're very strict, just in like your entire life. Like you're a very organized person. So it's kind of out of place, but it didn't yeah. take long for you to get back into shape. I just remember, coach teasing you all the time like who is this kid like I, he was supposed to be my, yeah, my Detroit yeah, guy I like, didn't recruit my, this kid yeah, yeah like what the hell is going on but no you, you quickly turn yeah. it around but I want to go into some of that that first year that the red shirt year and yeah. I mean I'm trying to think of a guy that I know that <clears throat> redshirted recently like it just doesn't happen too often and why what yeah. went into that decision was that difficult for you and like how was that entire year yeah, I mean, so there was a number of factors. I remember Coach Coach B, like, first talking to me about it. And, you know, I think that coaches don't even advocate for it that much anymore just mm -hmm. because of the way college basketball operates nowadays. It's like, right. you know, get turn players in and out. And, like, luckily I was with a coach that, you know, you and I know and a lot of people, you know, know from him, you know, his interviews and stuff from the outside, he's a – he was a, always a long-term view coach, right? And so he yeah. was always thinking about guys. He never recruited guys and with the thought of them, like, leaving. And he always was, like, trying to find guys that he could build into, you know, long-term, uh, stable players for the program. So I, I was blessed in that regard that he was the coach that recruited me. But a number, a few factors, like, a few of the main factors was, number one, like you said, I came on campus and was injured. Like I needed to have surgery like my first week I got there and um, on my knee. And that was a five month recovery. So I'm, I come in, the, I come into campus, I'm out of shape and I'm injured now. And I'm like, I'm out for five months. So at that point, it's like, I'm already so behind. We get on campus in July. I'm not even back into practice until after the season started. Yeah. So it's like, at that point, like I'm so behind the eight ball, like we didn't have summer workouts at that time. Like summer workouts were like, they were, they were a no, no by like the NCAA. They were, they were banned by the NCAA. So now, you know, thankfully they wised up on that one. But at that time we didn't have like practice, like for plays and things like that. We just had optional workouts. And uh, 
but regardless, like I was behind. I missed practice. I missed the preseason. And then another big factor that Coach Coach Beeline talked about, Coach Beeline and I talked about was, was like my academic path. So studying engineering, he was already nervous about me doing that, you know, and I was clear about that when I was being recruited that I wanted to. Mm-hmm. I got accepted into the College of Engineering and I, you know, I was following through on it. And for him, having that cushion of extra time um, for that program was something that he wanted to have. And he like, um, he kind of pushed me in that direction a little bit for that reason too. And so, I mean, all in all, it really worked out, you know, uh, like you said, not a lot of guys take advantage of it. Not a lot of programs take advantage of it. And, you know, I'm just one of the lucky few that like I was able to really use it to my benefit in, on and off the court. Right. I want to get into that a little bit, um, but I want to start with how that transition is and how you like, did you feel a part of the team? Because to be honest with you, you know, I was so focused on the season and like everyone that yeah, was going to be yeah. playing that I had forgotten that you redshirted. Like I had forgotten there was injury, <laughs> forgot you redshirted. It was like, yeah, I don't want to say you yeah. weren't a part of the team, but it was like, all right, J-Mo's over here doing his thing oh. and we got to worry about ourselves. Like, did, yeah. was it, was there a problem like feeling a part of the team and, and getting back into it? Yeah. I mean, I think, first of all, I think that's normal. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, even to this day, like we have a team where, you know, as professionals, you know, guys get injured and they kind of have to go like, and manage that because you have right here what's right in front of you like it's needs your attention and so I mean I think it's a very normal way to approach it but um I would say for sure I mean you spend so much time at that time like I spent so much time with John Doe like it was like that it was like me and John Doe like every day like who was our trainer you remember John Doe oh of course and it was like you know we were watching like the Tour de France together and like you know we were like you know, and half the time at that point, at that time, we had such limited resources for our program from a recovery standpoint that yeah. I did most of my rehab at Schembechler at the football facilities. So, I mean, for sure, I felt separate. And, you know, I don't necessarily feel like it was anybody's fault or like it should have been different, but, um, I spent most of my time like away from the team. And I mean, it's challenging. I mean, that was definitely one of the times I look back on in my life as one of the more challenging things that I faced. But, um, you know, I, I think it, I think of it as a, as an experience that kind of shaped me. Cause when I came back, I was really hungry. Um, you know, in the summer before that, the following season, when we had preparing for like our European tour and stuff, like I was very hungry at that time. I worked my ass off when I got back, um, when I got back onto the court in general. And so, you know, that was definitely like a defining experience. Um, so I, I definitely appreciate that adversity. I mean, I imagine you just have to keep reminding yourself of the end goal, but like that year has to seem so, so long. I mean, don't get me wrong you missed a great year to miss. Like we sucked and everything was disappointing. <laughs> like you had no responsibility for any of our losses. So it was a good year to miss. But I mean, imagine that yeah. there's times like, did you seek help, like guidance? Like, I know you have great parents. I love your parents, yeah. but you know, yeah. it's a very lonely thing. Like there's gotta be a lot of ups and downs there. Were you able to stay focused and just keep that long-term mindset or, or how was that? 
I mean, you know, luckily we were surrounded by such great people. And like, you know, it's funny you talk about how long that year was because if you remember, I um, came back from my knee injury and I think I was back for like a month before I dislocated my shoulder. Mm-hmm. And then, and it was like it was like two two months maybe that I was healthy before I dislocated my shoulder, and then I was back in rehab for another six months. So, <clears throat> um, I would you know we were lucky as a team that we had um, some really good people, at least like in the athletic department, especially at the time, like having Brian Townsend around, having Greg Harden around, um, having Coach Beeline. But it was kind of just like, <laughs> it was kind of just like, um, you just endure, man. I don't, I, I don't know how else to say it. You, yeah. know, you definitely keep the end goal in mind. Um, that's something that I always do. I'm always, I always try to remain positive and keep things in perspective. Um, but, you know, having my parents like support me through my surgeries was important, of course. And I think it was just the people. You know, it was the people for sure. Yeah. The one thing about college that keeps it so regimented, it you have to stay day by day. And whether it's rehab or the next game or whatever it is, they, they definitely do a good yeah. job of that. Yeah. Um, but I want to talk about. I think that I think I think, too, I want to mention like um, yeah. and give credit to Demo, too, in that respect. And Darius, Darius Morris, like him being my roommate. Yeah. Like we and you remember him and I were like, <clears throat> especially, you know, when those years that he was he was on campus with us like him and I were like thick and thin like we were we were like together you know we were like um thing one thing two man we were everywhere and he was really great support for me too and he you know his work ethic and his drive and that that kind of um it kind of wore off on me a little bit rubbed off on me a little bit too yeah and so I think having a guy like him like um he's quirky and he's um he's goofy but he's always positive and he always works his butt off you know that helped to keep me going too having somebody like that in the dorm room like like you're sleeping like (laughs) 10 feet away and so that you know having him too like through all of that um because he had his fair share of challenges through his freshman year and so we were kind of like there uh to support each other i mean that connection was evident right when you started up your redshirt freshman year like when you started actually playing i mean the pick and roll game between you guys you know yeah obviously there's going to be a lot of talk about trey and all the point guards after trey but like darius was the one who really started the transformation of beeline's offense into a pick and roll offense and that sort of led the way for trey to come over and just take over and you guys had that connection from the absolute get-go and i remember not being skeptical, but it was just like, you know, we were going into that year, like, what are we going to do? Like, are we going to run the offense or is, you know, obviously we knew Darius was going to have the ball and take control, but right. how was the offense going to go? And you guys, it almost seemed like from day one, it was just popping off right from the start. And yeah, I mean, from production wise, that was your, you know, the year you averaged the most points. And yeah. I mean, it was just, it was super impressive. Like, I know you felt that from day one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and he was like a brother, like, especially in those years, like, he was like a brother. Because like I said, like, from the moment we stepped on campus, like when I was in my crutches, like, he was like carrying my bag when I was in my crutches, you know, like, um, 
he never like left me on my own. And so like, I think we had a connection where like, we did feel like we were brothers in a way. So when we were on the court, like we, you know, he had a way of kind of looking out, you know, for me, like wanting yeah. to see me succeed. And um, I think as a team, you know, that system fit us really well too. Like with him playing the pick and roll, um, me rolling and being able to finish the way I could. And then having like a Stu Douglas and a Zach Novak, like, and you make people have to choose, like who, what are you going to give up? Yeah. You know, cause Darius is going to get to the rim. You know, he can score off the pick and roll. You got two elite shooters. Uh, and then you also got like somebody that's an elite finisher. And it just, it just made our offense work really well with you guys on, uh, you know, next to us really, honestly. It's so funny. I remember teams like just not even helping off me and Zach and you and Darius running the, the ball screen action. And just repeatedly you're finishing and you're doing up and unders, ball yeah. fakes. Like you're super in control from day one. And I'm like, when are these teams going to realize that we're just going to keep yeah. picking you apart like this? And like, you got to help down on j right. and stuff. So it, <clears throat> you're, yeah. you stepped in right away. And I think your finishing was, a, was like what was most impressive left hand, right hand, like I knew you were capable of it, but just to step in right away was, was always something I thought that just went a little unnoticed, but that's sort of, that was sort of your career at Michigan. And even early on, I think overseas, just like a right. little underappreciated, but you love that stuff. You, they, like you thrive on that. That's what's, yeah, I think yeah. you still to this day, like in your head, you're like working out and you're like, people don't believe in me. Always. No, always, man. Um, I think about that always, you know, and now, and now, and you know, it's those happen. Those thoughts come out in conversation with me and my wife, you know, cause she sees it too. And, um, you know, it's just like you embrace that role, just being productive and, you know, you do better. You outperform all the, the flashy names and yeah. the, you know, the, the people that they say are supposed to be here and do this, like you outperform that. And man, that's a great feeling. And it's something that, you know, has become kind of like you said, like a calling card of my career. And I, and I love it. I love it. It's a very fine line that we can walk, right? Where we constantly feeling doubted and we will play those thoughts over in our head and then not letting it take over and letting it instead motivate us. Like, have you ever had an yeah. issue with that where sometimes they do take over and they go into the negative space and, and you're not quite using it as motivation. You're letting it dog you down a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I think you can relate, man. I think at all, oh, yeah. everyone's point in their career, like you go, you go through stretches where um, I went through one recently, to be honest, like in this, in my team here in Russia, like, and it was you know, lucky for me, we were in the midst of a winning streak, but like, I couldn't figure anything out. Nothing would go right. Um, and I was thinking every step of the way, doubting myself and, um, you know, those types of, it's, it's hard, you know, it's yeah. hard to dig yourself out of that space. Um, but at the end of the day, I think the most important thing is just trying to play free and um, trust in all the work that you put in, because that's what's gotten players like you and I to the places that we've been, the places that we are is, you know, we put in a lot of work, a lot of hours to get to that point. And, and, and eventually you let go of the thought and you just let the work take over. Yeah, it's funny to think about a lot of guys I see overseas and there'll be guys that'll like play in Iceland for their first three years. And you're like, why'd you keep going? But like you just said, even in, you've had such a successful run of years now and 
even then you can still have these ruts, but you know, like, Oh, I've been yeah. through this. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. Like I just got to keep my head down, keep going. And I feel like those experiences early on are key. Like just knowing that you're going to get out of it and just to experience yeah. failure is, I mean, coach B said all the time, like it's the best to learn from a loss. Like learning from a win is the hardest thing to do in sports. The hardest thing to do. My coach keeps telling us that here. Um, I think of another rut. I think of my time when I was at Michigan, like the year we went on our our final four run. Oh, that's why I wanted getting, to get to next. Getting injured and like losing my athleticism because of my ankle injury. And then so like, you know, that finishing, I can't explode like I normally can. And like all my finishing suffers. And then like my whole game kind of goes to shit. Mm. And um, that was another time. And that one took... You know, I don't know that I really got my confidence back until the following season, my, you know, my fifth year, my, my senior season. Um, it took some time to really get that swagger back, that confidence back. And then, but when it came back, it came back like roaring back, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and you're right. It's a compilation. You know, your career is this compilation of all these times that you have doubted. And then you realize like that you're worthy and then like, you know, you got, and then you remember, like, I did, I got through this before. Yep. I got through words before, you know, this is, this is nothing. Dude, I just looked up, I just saw a picture. It's like a <laughs> perfect still shot of you rolling your ankle. I think it was at Illinois, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, that, it's out anybody, there. Yeah. For anybody listening, I wouldn't suggest looking it up, but it's like the best injury still shot I've ever seen for nothing that's like too gross and serious, but yeah, that looked brutal. And I rolled my ankle, I mean, so many times. My left ankle is just screwed forever. Yeah. And I'm like, that made yeah. me cringe a little bit. Yeah, they. I mean, I remember them telling me, like, yeah, you would have been better off breaking your ankle. Oh. Like, it took me to not, like, to not – I mean, I had purple, like, up my leg. Like, you know, it was, like – it was bad. My foot was huge. And I – just to play, like, a week later, I was in the pool, like, every day, like – Doing, my, I think there's a picture out there of me doing my homework in the pool, trying to get, you know, something back out of it. Um, you know, I, I wasn't myself after that that season, but uh, I look back on it and I'm like, man, people don't know like what I had to go through to even be what I was. Yeah. You know, to be all defensive team in the Big Ten after that, like to go through that and after that injury and to achieve that, like. I gave that that season, like that team, my everything, even though like it wasn't, you know, maybe the best part of my career. It was the best that I had then for sure. Um, yeah, but that speaks to your was, resilience. It, it took months of Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it, it took months of not doing anything to to get my ankle even normal again. <laughs> yeah, because you're just yeah, I yeah, I've been there like that especially if it's something serious like that, that inflammation will stick in there. It'll affect you for yep. a while and you just got to let it rest and really aggressive yeah. rehab. But I was looking yeah. at the numbers and seeing that year and the, the success that you guys had, but also yeah, you started most of the games and you got hurt in the big 10 uh, season and had to finish out, but you're playing, you played the least amount of minutes that you had in your entire Michigan career, you know, and the team is having success and you were all defensive team for the big 10. Like yeah. I, 
I know you're resilient and I know you're mentally tough and I've seen it over and over and over and I couldn't quite, we, could, we can't quite detail everything. Like just because I know you, it's hard yeah. to explain it. But I mean, how do you even, did you, did you think when you went into that year, like that you guys were that good and that maybe you'd have to sacrifice some things or was that a process of like learning to sacrifice along the way? It definitely happened along the way. And it was like a lesson I had to keep learning. Um, because like, you know, if you look like I started every game until I got hurt, mm -hmm. I still had a major role and I was doing well. And we, yeah. and the most important thing was like, we had so much talent on the floor that like we were a better team when I was out there because I didn't demand the ball. I didn't, I did all the little things. I always, I played the defense. Like I set the screens, I finished when I needed to, but like, I didn't need the ball. I didn't, you know, I was, I fit. And, um, you know, that injury was tough because we struggled after that. Even that, even when I got back to playing, we still weren't the same. Um, and the ultimate sacrifice was, you know, I made, I feel like was like in the NCAA tournament. And that wasn't even a decision that was ever really talked about. It just was made. Sure. Not to say that it had to be, but you know, you saw everything that I went through in my years there <clears throat> to get to like that type of tournament run after everything we've been through and to kind of just like watch it. It was like, it was like torture almost. I'm you sure know? you're just having like our first two games of the tournament. I didn't play a minute. Yeah. I didn't log one minute in our first two games and they were both blowouts. And I was like, wow. And it was at the palace, you know, my hometown. So I was just like, you know, that was like, that was like torture for me, man. That was um, because I just felt like I had given so much and worked so hard to be at that point. And when you talk about sacrifice, like when you, what would you sacrifice for your team to do well? You know, and that's like the ultimate question. That was like the, that was like the ultimate, like most extreme example you can get. It was like, well, I literally had to sacrifice every minute that I was playing before to see my team do well. And, um, uh, Ultimately, I was grateful for that experience. It was one of the most memorable experiences of my life, that, that turn, NCAA tournament run. Yeah. It's funny to go through that experience and you'll get praised, you know, like, like people have come up to me and talked about, you know, being a role player and being in that position and helping the team that way. And they'll praise you for it and it feels good. But like, you also want to scream at the top of your lungs, like, yo, I have dreams. Like I got basketball yeah. individual dreams. Yeah. Like somebody, somebody, please yeah. listen to me, but you can't, it, there, there's just not many yeah. places you can really express that. You got your people that you, you can confide in. Um, but it is, I, I can only imagine going through that run, that tournament run and being disappointed with the playing time and then just having to compartmentalize all of it until after the year. And it's like, God, that yeah. would just be burning up inside. I'm sure after that first weekend you had a lot of inner dialogue going on just to keep going, especially in practice. And I mean, even you could just, I mean, even it's nothing against Beeline, you know, everything worked out, but like even just looking at Beeline in the hallway, like that's gotta be rough. I was just like, man, you couldn't even tell me you were gonna do that to me. Like you couldn't even like, I mean, damn, I've been here for four years. I could, that couldn't even give me a conversation, you know, at that point, that's kind of how I felt. And it was just like, um, no, you, you know, you bite that bullet and you, you keep it moving. You have guys like I give, I got to give another, you know, credit. And, you know, you ask how you get through stuff like that. It's always your brothers. And 
I got to give credit in that situation to like guys like Josh Bartlestein, guys like John Horford, um, that that you know were right there when, um, like Josh, like you know Josh. I mean, I don't even have to tell you. Josh is like, we're celebrating. Everybody's happy. I'm not happy, so he's not happy. You know. Yeah. And it's just like, um, that's Josh. And so like I got to give credit to him and like. And the rest of my teammates, man, because they get your head together and they they help you get through that because it's not an easy thing. No, no, no. I mean, that that's that's true leadership right there. And when people talk about college basketball, they always reference like family orientation and how how a college team is family. I'm like, no, man, like this can be cutthroat. Like, yeah, they they care about you. But at the same time, it is a business and these are business decisions. And it, right, right. it's going to be cutthroat. And it sucks because sometimes fans come up to you and they're talking to you like that. And it's like, you don't get it, man. Like you don't get everything. Like they're trying to be nice, but it's just, it's so difficult because you're just so misunderstood and you can't express it. Like you just can't, you can't let that stuff out. Like you have to learn to compartmentalize or you're just not going to survive. And I've seen it over and over and over. I'm sure you play with a million talented guys, especially overseas. And like, if you can't deal with that stuff, you're not going to. Overseas is crazy. Overseas is crazy, and like uh, I think that it's important to find ways to, um, you know, you do have to compartmentalize, like in certain respects. Like you can't let that stuff bleed out on the court for sure. You got to find ways to let it out. People that you can trust and you can talk to. And um, I think one of the things that I tell myself a lot when I face situations like that or like this is is that or like if you're you know as a professional, you're facing like difficult, you're not playing well. It's like when people have expectations of you or whatever the case might be, the reality that I always try to like fall back on is like, you know, this is part of what you want. This is what you ask for. Yeah. Like it's part, it comes with the territory. And so you want to play at Michigan, you know, you want to play at the highest level. Um, or you want to be a professional, you want to play for money, like this is what comes with it. And to deserve that opportunity, you have to be able to handle it. And if you can't handle it, then maybe you don't deserve that opportunity. And that's that's one of the conversations that I always, that I always have with myself um, that pushes me through anything that I might be facing. It's like, look, there are a lot of people that can't face that and can't overcome that. And they haven't made it this far, like you said. Yeah. And there's a reason that, you know, you made it as far as you did. The reason that I did is because, you know, you're capable and you can't forget that. Now, dreams are such a sticky thing. Like you, you don't dream, you don't sit in bed dreaming about the struggles of, of these situations. You're dreaming, you know, rainbows and sunshine and everything. Right. And then right. you get into it. Right. And right. They always tell you like, my mom will always talk <clears throat> to control what you can control but to practice actual acceptance is like a whole other thing like to actually take the right. bad accept it and move on is like it's, it's an everyday struggle and you just mentioned it you know your career has been fantastic and I want to get into that a little bit but it's gonna happen it's gonna happen no matter at what point you're at even if you're LeBron James like these things are gonna come up and yeah. I just don't yeah. I don't know if we we like touch on it enough with athletics like we, we love the, the highlights and we love the the good times but there's those yeah. small struggles the that build up 
<laughs> the lowlights, you know, yeah. it's like um, LeBron's had his moments of being, you know, dealing with that type of pressure. And I think, you know, pressure is a privilege. So it's a just good perspective. Like, yeah, it's like, would you rather not have it? You know, I think back to some of the places and some of the situations I've been in, like places that I've come from, like as a pro, and I'm like, I don't want to be back there. There was no pressure there. Yeah. You know, and I'd rather be, I'd rather be play with the pressure. Yeah. I was just uh, talking to my girlfriend about, cause I think I'm going to go back to Israel. I mean, right now airport shut down, but I'm going to try and pick a team and go back and finish the season with, we're talking about the different teams, the different prospects and minutes. And I was telling her like, I would rather be solely responsible f- for losing a game and play 35 minutes and sit on the bench and win. Like I, that pressure is privilege and that pressure right. is exactly what you work for. Yeah. As long as you can take it. Like, yeah. Yeah, like that, that is what you work for. That's what's that's the irony of it. But I'm gonna get into some of your pro career. Um because I mean I talked to Nick, he's played he played it last year overseas, but you've had you know the most extensive overseas career for the person I've talked to. And I relate to you with that. So I'm interested to talk to you about that. And and I was thinking about my time yeah. and when I started in my first week, and I was wondering how tough my first week was. My first two days were brutal, no Wi-Fi. You know, I had to read a book. Like, I couldn't even contact anybody. Yeah. And I was wondering what your yeah. first week was A like. book, imagine that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, my, my, it's funny. I just had a conversation about this. My first th- three weeks, we spent, um, we, I played in, I went to Rome to play. Excuse me. <laughs> it's late here. Eight hour time difference, right? 10, 15. So, Better off schedule, um, yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but um, first thing we like get there, we set our bags down. They're like, "This is your apartment." Like this little space, like you know, it, it's, it's was small, really small. Mm-hmm. And they're like, "All right, here's your stuff." Like we leave like tomorrow. We're like on the road. We're like, we. I remember we go to some like we go to a training facility here, and another one like terrible Wi-Fi. I think one had no Wi-Fi, and this is like. I have like an international plan now. Like that was like unheard of. Like at that time, it was like, you know, your phone's not working overseas. Like you got a phone, a US phone that's not working. Uh-uh. And um, <clears throat> yeah, it was a, definitely a shock. I mean, that whole first year, uh, it's like the first two days, it's like, no, that whole first year was a shock because it's such, so different, especially from Michigan. Michigan, there was family. It was like, um, this was like, First of all, it's not like your typical season. It's, you know, 10 months. Yeah, you're gone, yeah. you know. And the playing in Italy, like so much, so much pressure put on you for like every game, like in a weird way though, like not in a positive way, like in like a. Did you ever have a, the manager not, come not in and talk to you after loss? The owner. The owner of the team came in and talked to us after the loss, like, like the in Italian, like cursing us out in Italian, yeah. in Italian cursing us out, and um, it's just such a, a shock, you know. And then like it's like your first time living out of the country, so like you're trying to figure out how to like live and adapt. And it's like, you know, you go to the store and you're like, you know, you're trying to like translate what you can, and like you buy what looks familiar 
and like, oh, there's a McDonald's, like that's home. Yeah. Like, McDonald's, like never, never eat McDonald's in the states, right? I never touch McDonald's in the states. Overseas, I'll eat McDonald's. It feels like home. It's much better quality, right? Yeah. And it's just like it's it's just a whole different experience when you're overseas, but you know, just the life. It's just you know the mentality, the style of play. It's theater. You know, my wife is is a dance you know dance major, and she's an artist, and she's like basketball in Europe. It's theater. It's not like in the states. In the states, it's like skill performance like here it's like theater like it's it's like theatrical performance like can you sell your files like can you <laughs> like does the crowd love it make the crowd love you yes. you know it's like it's just like a whole different thing like especially italian fans have you ever had any issues with some italian heated italian fans uh i haven't had any issues with italian fans no i wouldn't say I've had no, but I remember like like one of the times I do remember like people have these crazy like overseas fan stories, right? So mm -hmm. I'm, mine is like from Serbia. Okay, it's like we're yep. playing Partizan, and we're like on the road in Belgrade, and we're like <clears throat> we're winning, and we're about to beat Partizan at Partizan. It's like a packed stadium like my teammate goes to like shoot free throws to like seal the game and they're like throwing stuff at him like i think they started throwing some coins at him when he's at the free throw line and uh, he was a good shooter so he iced it but then after the game we had a police escort i think it was like four police cars like two in front two in the back like all the way to the border of serbia like you know and it was funny because we stopped at mcdonald's at on the on the, the expressway and they like they all stopped with us and like, I oh, all got McDonald's too. It was like, um, but we had to have the escort all until we left the country. Like they were like with you the whole way. So that, that's, that's my crazy story. I know Israel's got some pretty, uh, pretty wild fans and wild fan stories though. Yeah. Well, especially when they go, Israeli teams go out of the country and then there's some anti-Semitism and some interesting stories there for sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are good ones. Yeah. I've had a few police escorts when we played internationally. Like there was one country, I don't remember exactly what it was, maybe Montenegro, but they were like, yeah, we, an Israeli team hasn't played here since the nineties. And like, we had a major police escort and like no. even going to Turkey, like we had, I was just in Montenegro. Yeah. I can imagine Turkey. Yeah. Yeah. Turkey, we had a, like the Secret Service went and scouted out the area like the day before we got there and made sure everything was locked down. And like the whole hotel was nobody was staying in our hotel. It was just us. Wow. I remember my first time playing in Turkey. I was actually the year I played in Italy. We were on the road. And during that year, like because of the time difference, like and Kate, my wife at the time uh, was my girlfriend at the time. She stayed home. And uh, I used to wake up and talk to her like in the middle of the night because of the time difference. Mm. And I remember being up at like five and our window was open. And if you know anything about Turkey at five o'clock in the morning, their prayers come on and it's like on this loudspeaker. And the loudspeaker must have been like right outside our window. And I, I'm not kidding. I start freaking out. I'm like, we're like this team full of Americans from Rome, like, 
you know, I don't know anything about Turkey. I, I think it's like, you know, I, I, I'm thinking the worst. You know, it's because like, it's like Arabic screaming from a oh. loudspeaker right outside the window. Oh, yeah, I've heard it. And like, it's loud. Like, if you ever heard it, like, you don't understand. Like, you can look it up. Like, um, you know, I didn't at the time had no idea that they were praying or anything like, but it, it you know, the guy comes on and it was my first time hearing it. That's so, so like, and, and I know nothing about the world. I know nothing about Turkey. And I'm, it's not like I'm in Istanbul. I'm in a city that I would and eventually plague in later, Bandarma, mm-hmm. which is like a village. So I'm in this like Turkish village and like this loudspeaker of Arabic, like what at the time sounded like yelling comes on outside my window and I'm like panicking. Um, <laughs> uh, so then I, I put two and two together, and, but, but it was, that was my first introduction to like a major culture difference. Yeah, we, there was um, my first year in Israel, my like little neighborhood. I mean, it was a couple miles away, I think, from this Arab village. And they would play that, the prayer in the mornings. And it was loud. Like sometimes it would keep me awake. Like it was that loud from so yeah. far away. And I'm like, yeah. it took me a while to figure out. Like I figured it out about, like the first time, but it was like, damn, okay. I didn't realize, you know, in Israel, especially that this was going on, but also, I mean, I was in the North and right. uh, there was like the air force base was up there close by and they would, yeah. they would do their training. Right. And they would hit sonic booms like all the time. Oh. And one got really close oh, and wow. rattled like our apartments and our houses and stuff. And my teammate, yeah. my teammate yeah. like thought that we were under attack. And I was like, no dude, yeah, that's just jets. You're good. Yeah. For uh, you know, it's funny. It's actually um, I had a and, and when I was living in that city in Turkey, in Bandarma, which I have you know a good place in my heart for. It was a great you know great season for me, great team um, that unfortunately is no longer <laughs> no longer around. But they also had a base there with you know jets taking you know coming and going, and that, mm. those things are so loud. Dude, you have no so idea. Loud. Yeah, people don't realize. I think. I want to talk about that gym though in Bandarma yeah. because I played there yeah. the year before you got there. We played, we played them and it is like attached to the chicken factory, I think. Right. <laughs> um, and no, so uh, it's not a chicken factory that it's attached to. It's actually like a school. It's an academy and um, the chicken factories are down the street, but the main sponsor was Bambit, like the chicken company. So if you think in like gotcha. the Tyson chicken, like this is the Tyson of Turkey, Bambit. Yeah. And uh, they had an academy attached there. Like I come to find out when I'm living living there where they have kids of every age that live there. They come from all over Turkey. They used to, they recruit them from all over Turkey. You know, some of the best kids to come live there. They eat their meals there. Um, and you know it's actually a really noble thing that they stay committed to for a long time, even in financial hardship. So yeah, it's funny. I played there, and well, I want to talk about the gym real quick because the gym is really cool. Like the the stands are elevated, and there's like a wall like around mm-hmm. the entire court. And I thought that was super cool. It's, it's very like small. Like they can get. It sounds like it, I feel like it would get really loud. Like if you know Fenerbahce. Oh yeah. Or some crazy. Really team. loud but, and really hot. Yeah. Yeah. But my favorite was I walked out at halftime and it was just smoke, like smoke all in the air. I'm like, oh, what the yeah. hell just happened? People are smoking inside. Like, what is going on? Like, yeah, they don't care, man. Like, 
and I'm, I'm picturing it being really bad when it's like a packed house and like you're coming out at halftime and it's just smoke it cleared out for yeah. the beginning of the third quarter when i played when i played there we we beat fetter actually in, in overtime Damn. in that gym and it was unbelievable unbelievable the atmosphere was crazy yeah shout out to devin oliver our, our boy devin oliver from uh, kalamazoo played yeah. and we, we love him yes. uh, but one more he's back thing. in turkey now too is it yeah yeah that's right that's yeah. right that's right i talked to him a little bit uh, yeah. last week yeah but the i don't know if you saw this but when we played there we're going through like the front hall and i see this uh bandvit like uh, I guess like a little. You have to put the picture up. I know exactly what you're talking about. The yeah. picture has to go. I have it. You have it. I have it. If you need it, I have it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You gotta send it to me. You gotta send it to me, and I gotta, I gotta ask Tim about it. But I'm going through, and it's like the hell. Tim Hardaway is <laughs> advertising in an advertisement for Bandit. There's a little poster. Junior like, and senior. Junior. Yeah. I forgot about that part. That's the best part. Yes. Oh yes. God. Where do you even do that? I don't even understand how I that saw that. I don't either, but it's funny because I took a picture with that um, when I played there when I was in Italy. And then I had to look at it every single day. It was like five years later when I was playing there. I had to look at it every single day. And it was the funniest thing in the world when I saw that. And I will send it to you. We will make sure that can, do what you can. Like you got to share it. But it was it's like the most it's the most bizarre thing in the world like in this small village in turkey tim hardaway is on this like advertisement for chicken with a chicken drum in his hand it's just jarring and i i I couldn't believe it couldn't believe it i couldn't even express to my teammates like why it was crazy to me and i'm like looking around like trying to express and like Tell him why, and they're like, "Shut, shut up, dude!" Like, I got, I want to get on the. Bus. I lived with this guy. Like, yeah. why is he here? Like, <laughs> like literally. Mm. Oh man, man, that was one of the most interesting things I've seen of all my in all my years over here for sure. It was the Tim Hardaway advertisement in Bandarma, Turkey? God, I got it. I forgot that. I'm just trying to imagine Tim ever going to Bandarma. Yeah, that's what it, it's all confusing. I got to get him on the pod and ask him about it. <laughs> all right, I want to finish up with some uh, little little quicker things. Um, but I got I got a few things to go through. We talked about how big of a nerd you are. First of all, you graduated with your bachelor's right. of science and engineering right in three years, and then you got your master's right after that, even before you even left school. Which, you know, I forgot you were such a big nerd. <laughs> but you you got yeah. a shout out from obama and i think it was april 2014 when he came to mm-hmm. campus and had that talk like why how the hell would that happen i mean shout out to my wife who is who is secretly the smarter the smartest person in this relationship because um most people would find it um pretty crazy that i was hesitant to go let's say hesitant <laughs> to go to that you're so shy day. honestly I don't like people, yeah. you know, and I don't like crowds, you know, yep. and it's just like, like, you know, they were like, we got these tickets. You got to stand outside and wait for six hours to go in. I'm just like, dude, I'm not trying to do this today. Like I had plans, like we had planned, let, let me tell you this. She was my girlfriend and we had planned a spa day. Season was over. Career, college career is done. I'm like, yeah. we like, get rid of it. Going through all these lengths to schedule like a spa day for her and I to like go get massages and stuff. Uh-huh. This was our spa day. 
you know so i'm like i'm sitting here like balancing like obama like you know (laughs) relaxation like like, yeah it's like uh, so um she's like you know thankfully she's much smarter than me and was like you're stupid you're going it was just like i was like okay um but it's funny honestly i don't know who worked that in there um but it was it was a really cool moment and i'm grateful for her grateful that i went and you know especially where we're at you know in this world i'm grateful that i got to be a part of that like yeah um say what you want about obama and his political agendas and you know whatever con- uh, whatever other controversies you you know subscribe to but to to be associated with somebody that at least uh that had a level of class you know and a level of like carry himself with like a lot of dignity and um, somebody that I admire in that respect, you know, regardless of his agendas and his policy and all these things, um, you know, he's an inspirational person. So I'm, I'm honored to to even, you know, have that to, to be associated with him in that way. Yeah. So apparently it is the 10 year anniversary of our big win at at Michigan State. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. the shot from, uh, from I've seen your shot about a hundred times. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll replay it till I die, but nonetheless, as you should. Favorite? Yeah. No, it's going to be my, I mean, my grandchildren are going to be watching it on replay. Yeah. Still shot yeah. at walls. Is that your favorite Michigan state memory or do you, do you have another one, like a better win? No, man. I mean, we won there another time, you know, <laughs> We won there another time, twice. But no, that one was like, that one changed everything, you know? And that's why it's such an important shot, right? It's such an important game. Like, nobody believed in us at that point. Like, um, you know, everybody has all these stories about Coach Beeline's future at that time or whatever. You know, we can get into all those. But the reality is, like, that, that game was so important for all of us, like, each one of us individually it's come to define like our lives. Like none of us would be where we are from uh, even the people that follow, right? Like all, everybody that has that has gone through those locker room doors since like wouldn't be where they are if it wasn't for that game. Um, it, it helped to define a program, helped to define like our legacy at Michigan and helped us to, more importantly, it helped everyone like in that locker room and everyone that supported us to believe again Mm -hmm. that we could do things like that. And I think that was the more powerful thing was that that level of belief, that level of hope that became like infectious. Um, And I think from that point on, we always overachieved as a program, at least during my time, you know, that's what I'll speak speak for. We always overachieved from them because we always believed from then on that we could we could beat whoever we could win we could do whatever um because that because of that game it, it gave us that that belief yeah and i want to want to uh, shout out the friendship between our moms because i just saw on facebook my mom posted about the shot in the 10 year anniversary and then your mom uh, uh commented on it saying that after the game, you came out of the locker room and you're like, I just want to get the hell out of this like nasty place. She said something to that effect. And I was like, dang, I didn't like, did you always yeah. dislike Michigan State growing up? And me? Yeah. 
Um, you know, I mean, I did. So like, it's weird because I did. Like, I grew up a big Michigan football fan okay. more than anything. And I remember like, even be, even when I was a kid, like I, my grandfather had season tickets from when my mom was a kid. So I grew up on Michigan football. And there was a long time um, ticket holder next to my grandfather's tickets, who I used to see every time I would go when my mom would take me. And he used to tell me like, you're going to go play over there at Chrysler when you get big, when you get old. <laughs> so like, that's like our, you know, our ironic family story. But um, <clears throat> it was weird. Cause in like in high school, like Michigan state did recruit me a little bit when I was a freshman. And um, I was like, Oh, like, this is cool. Like at the time, of like I never thought about Michigan basketball, not until coach B got hired that I really like ever seriously think about Michigan basketball. I even went to a few games. I remember like Daniel Horton, guys like that um, playing. And, and I don't know. I, it's not to say that I preferred Michigan State. I just, you know, I had looking at other schools like Notre Dame and like uh, Purdue and like schools like that, like because uh, just Michigan didn't seem like basketball plays. Right. And then, you know, it kind of changed. My perspective changed when Coach B took the job. And like I kind of fell back in love with Michigan a little bit. It kind of was like full circle. Yeah, you know? makes sense. Makes sense. All right, <clears throat> we're gonna end with uh, three questions that I like to ask everyone at the end. At least all the players, and then I wanted to talk about the uh, JMO Foundation at the end a little bit. But yeah, yeah. I was talking to Spike, and then came up with the idea of like asking guys about their final games. And your final game was against Kentucky. Tough loss. Uh, I think it was in Lucas yeah. Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. And yeah, yeah. And um, I just wanted to ask you what the feeling was in the locker room, like for you personally, and I guess as a team, like, like how was that and that subsequent week afterwards? Like, you know, how did you deal with that in the moment and, and then right after? It's weird, man. It's a weird feeling because, like, you know. <clears throat> I don't, I won't say that I like had any like reservations about my career being over. Like I felt like I wanted to continue because like I had been there for five years. So like, I felt like, you know, I've given it everything. Like, and like part of me was ready to like move on. Like I was done with grad school. Like I was like, I'm, I'm ready to kind of like move on with life. Yep. It was sad in a way too, because we all expected to be in the final four. We didn't expect to lose that game. We mm -hmm. expected to win that. Fully expected to win that game. And you know, I give a lot of credit to Kentucky. They played. They played great in that tournament. And you know, one of the Harrison twins. I I'm not going to say which one because I I don't want to get them mixed up. But they, you know, they hit a huge shot to beat us. And you know, we played a great tournament. And it was just like we just weren't good enough that day. Um, so I think there was a. It was a bittersweet feeling like wishing that it didn't end that way mm. and at least go into another final four, especially, you know, as we talked about how that first final four went for me, it was a sacrifice. It was a completely different place a year later. Like I was playing like, well, um, at that time. And like, I was like, we're going back. And like, I wanted to go back for me. We all wanted to go back for us. And, um, we felt like we had the team to do it. So it was bittersweet and like just ending short of that, like, two seconds short of that like that's a 
really bittersweet. But then, like, you know, part of me was excited to, like, um, to graduate and to see what was next with life and, like, you know, um, grow up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. Yeah, no, it's the same for me. I mean, I felt like I was at Michigan for about eight years. So I was like, all right, I did what I did. Yeah. Let's see what's next. Yeah. All right. This is a quick one. All right. Skeeps or Ricks? Uh, I, I personally prefer Skeeps probably. Love that. Appreciate that. That's been a, I've been surprised at how many yeah. Skeeps answers yeah. I've had. All right, last thing, and then we'll get into the yeah. general foundation. What is one thing that you took from Michigan, one thing you learned, a big lesson, maybe somebody said to you or just learned on your own that you still carry to this day with you? Um, it's all about people, man, and relationships. I think, like, <clears throat> that's something that people will tell you about Michigan. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, like, live is, live, you know, strong, a lot of, what's the, what do they call it? The, the biggest living alumni. Right. Um, but I think that that's a really shallow way to look at it and to view it. I think is the more important thing is to talk about is relationships. You know, after you leave Michigan, things change. It's never really the same. And you need to cherish those people that genuinely care about you because that care like it doesn't get extended to you the same way after that mm-hmm. everybody you know is more concerned with themselves and you know the fact that you and i still you know we're doing a podcast now but we've stayed in touch this whole time mm-hmm. you know that's a really important thing and you know all the other teammates all the teammates that i had at my wedding and um you know coach b like still talking to coach b consistently over all these years um, the people that I know from off the court, whether it be professors and people that work at the university or people I met because of the university, that's really where, and that's life, you know, and that's why I think like you ask, what, is, how, what do you carry with you? I've carried that with me in that <clears throat> over the years, I've prioritized the relationship with genuine people at every stop along the way. I've been played seven seasons for seven teams in six different countries. <laughs> but I keep in touch with people from every one of those stops and have memories and genuine people that I still talk to from each one of those stops. And that's important, you know, caring about people, not just caring about yourself all the time. I just read a quote yesterday. It said, if I'm not, if you're not for you, then who will be? But if you're only for you, then what's the point? And I really like that quote. And it kind of encompasses the message I'm trying to give. It's like, don't look at it so shallow. Everybody says it's not what you know, it's who you know. But don't make it a shallow thought. Make that a real meaningful and a deep thought. Because you're going to need people to be there for you at certain times in your life. So be there for others and care about others. Don't just do it selfishly. And, and on that note, you started the Jordan Morgan Foundation. You've been doing that for some years now. I, yeah. you know, was sad to to miss to have the uh, golf outing canceled this year. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm looking forward to that whenever we can do that again. But kind of talk about that a little bit. You know, what's been on the the docket for the Jordan yeah. Morgan Foundation this year? I know it's been tough with COVID, but kind of go into that and explain yeah. to the people. Yeah. So we're still like we're in this like ideation phase right now for 2021. Um, in this weird like limbo of like what's possible and what's 
you know, with this current sure. pandemic everyone's facing. But one thing will remain true. We will continue to focus on education and children in need. And you can come from anything and accomplish anything. And as cheesy and corny as that sounds, it's true. And the most, some of the, some of the more important things that kids in underserved areas don't have beyond resources, it's like inspiration and access to like opportunity. So that's where we're in the business of. We're in the business of inspiration. We're in the business of opportunity. So whatever we do in 2021, it's going to be focused on trying to make that happen in a big way, especially in STEM education, because that's it, which is science, technology, engineering, and math, because that's something that's dear to me. And it's also a topic and an area of focus that has a potential to make big change because of the academic benefits of STEM and the economic benefits of STEM. And so that's really what our focus is. I suggest anyone that's interested to learn more, go to our website, jordanmorganfoundation.com and you know, sign up for our newsletter. As soon as we have updates about programming, about opportunity for volunteering to donate, we'll, you know, you'll be the first to know. And, but again, we're in this phase where we're really trying to figure out for 2021 and beyond how we want to really leave our mark on the world and on, and especially on Detroit and on Michigan. Yeah. Things are ripe for change. That is for sure. That's for sure. Jay Moment, yeah. I appreciate you. Always a big fan. I'm a huge fan of yours always on and off the court. And so I appreciate you coming on talking. We're going to do it again man. in a few months. So be prepared yeah. for that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. Don't worry. Don't worry. We'll have a lot to talk about. I'll make sure of it. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. All right, man. Take it easy. Thanks. Yeah, well, man. I, I, thanks for having me, man. Love yeah, you. yeah.